0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Sports Travel Podcast, where we interview leaders in the sports event industry. This is Jason Gewurz, Vice President of the North Star Meetings Group Sports Division and the Executive Editor and Publisher of Sports Travel. And our guest on this episode is Chris Robb, the founder of Mass Participation World and one of the leading global experts on trends in the space when it comes to marathons, triathlons, cycling races, and other events that attract a mass number of participants. In this conversation, we'll be talking with Chris about the latest trends he sees in the space, the role that cities can and should be playing in the industry's recovery, and the shocking data of how many people and how much of a community are affected by just one participant in a mass participation event. But before we begin, this episode of the Sports Travel Podcast is being sponsored by the Teams Conference and Expo, the world's largest gathering of sports event organizers and the destinations and suppliers that serve the sports event industry. Teams 22 will be held at the Oklahoma City Convention Center in Oklahoma City, October 24th through through the 27th. This year's conference will once again feature the co-location of the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee's SportsLink program and NGB Best Practices seminar, as well as the annual symposium of the National Congress of State Games. For more details on everything we have planned at Teams this year, please visit teamsconference.com. And now, on to the conversation. When the COVID-19 pandemic began, mass participation races were some of the first to shut down. And when events started to return, they were some of the last to come back by nature of their key element, bringing large amounts of people together to experience a similar event. But mass participation events, running races, triathlons, cycling tours, obstacle races, to name a few— remain some of the biggest potential economic drivers for cities. And perhaps more importantly, they remain tremendous ways to improve the quality of life of residents in a city and for participants who travel to compete. For years, Chris Robb has been following trends in the space. Robb is the founder of Mass Participation World, an annual business conference in the space, and a leading advocate for the industry. During the pandemic, he leaned into his specialty of trying to unite a disparate industry, launching podcasts and web webinars to help the organizers get back on their feet, and supporting research to show the potential impact that these kinds of sporting events can have on communities, no matter where in the world they're located. In this conversation, we sit down with Rob to discuss why mass participation races are struggling to get back on track, the root causes of what has been a slow return, and what role destinations can and should be playing to help the industry recover to its fullest. We hope you enjoy the conversation. Chris Robb, welcome to the Sports Travel Podcast.
1: Hey, Jason. Great to see you. Wonderful to be here. Thanks so much for the opportunity.
0: Excellent to have you, as it's just amazing with technology. We are having this conversation halfway around the world from each other. So good morning to you. Good evening to me as we talk. So, Chris, we've gotten to know each other a bit. Over the years, if memory serves, we met each other at the uh, World Athletics Global Running Conference that was held in central China right before the pandemic. That was back in 2019, an incredible event that sort of highlighted how fast things were growing in China for mass participation races. It was uh, an eye-opener for me, I think. And then, uh, of course, we know what's happened here in the last couple of years uh, since we met each other there at that event. Uh, obviously, it's been a different story, I think, for the for your industry, for the general sports industry. And yet, here we are. We're, we're back. Events are coming back. And uh, you are kind of at the pulse right now of everything that's happening when we talk about mass participation races, uh, whether that's running or cycling or triathlons or uh, generally moving about. You're very well connected with all of that world. It's just a pleasure to have some time today, Chris, uh, your morning and, and my evening. Here. So g- great to see you. Thanks for thanks for being on and having a, a chat with us today.
1: Thanks, Jason. Yeah, uh, Langeau seems like uh, an age ago, doesn't it? <laughs> so much has happened since then. But uh, yeah, like you say, uh, you know, it's exciting times. Things are starting to come back all around the world in, in sport generally, and particularly our industry, which was very much at the back of the queue, you know, this this whole mass participation in, in, in one way, it it's kind of worked in our favor over the years, but it, it kind of placed us at the back of the queue because the, the whole word mass just scared authorities all over the world. And, and it's been incredibly tough times for the industry. But it's, uh, it's great to see things uh, starting to come back. And we can talk about that as we go forward. But uh, some some positive signs all over the world. Yeah, absolutely.
0: We're going to hit on all of those things, Chris. But I thought we'd start Before we begin, there are probably segments of our audience that is not familiar with your entity and the work that you've been doing with Mass Participation World. So why don't we start there, Chris, on what your background is, how you got involved with that, what MPW is doing. Why don't you give us just a little background on your background before we get into some of these details and trends that you were just mentioning?
1: Thanks Jason. Yeah, look I'm I'm fortunate I, I I grew up on a farm in Zimbabwe and organized my first event as a 16-year-old uh running track at school. A uh, little fun run uh to raise money to to resurface our cinder track at school and many many of your audience probably wouldn't even know what a cinder track was but uh <laughs> <laughs> that was the kind of precursor to the uh, the tracks that people run on these days. And fast forward now, uh, I'm based in Asia, where I've been for 18 years. I live in Bali. And uh, in 2015, when I was in Singapore, and, and uh, I guess the centre of my portfolio there was the Singapore Marathon, the standard chartered Singapore Marathon with 60,000 participants. We had the commercial rights for all elements of that, so the delivery, the you know sponsorship, broadcast, everything that went with delivering that event. And I recognised that. This mass participation industry, as we call it, is very fragmented, was then and still is to many, many ways now. And, you know, we have the running element of it and the triathlon and the cycling and, and obstacle racing and swimming in some markets as well. And and I figured it would be a good idea to, to try and bring everyone together in what what was launched as Mass Participation Asia. And it was a hugely busy weekend because I, I literally had the launch of my book, Mass Participation Sports Events. I was delivering the Singapore Marathon, and I had this conference which ran on the, on the Thursday and Friday. Can you so, imagine? So what, what- it was yeah, it was it, it was it was pretty full on, but really exciting. And so you know that conference was successful. And fast forward to where we are now, mass participation world as it now is. Uh, we've just announced our seventh edition of what started out as that conference will be in Bangkok alongside the World Athletics Global Running Conference, which are where we where we met. So the second edition of that obviously delayed a little bit now by. Uh, by covid will take place in bangkok and mass participation world will happen just before that and and essentially two link conferences but we're now involved in advocacy research Uh, during the pandemic um, i launched a number of different podcasts to help educate and bring the industry together so the aid station was one of them many uh, webinars educational webinars working with world athletics to deliver regular webinars which we had you as a guest on one kind of uh, sometime last year from memory and one of the initiatives that i launched last year was an mpw global council so again this idea of how do we bring this industry together to collaborate and cooperate more on a global basis. So we meet every two months and we have World Athletics, we have the UCI, we have World Triathlon, World Obstacle, World Orienteering. And we come together along with a number of the, you know, one of the real positives of the collaboration that's come out of the pandemic is, is these alliances and coalitions that have sprung up all over the world to try and bring the industry together in various geographies. So we have, you know, I think 32 representatives on, on that board now on that council from literally all over the world. And, and and every two months we get these updates, which, you know, I, I think I'm in this very fortunate position to have, you know, this outreach literally all over the world where I'm getting insights on a regular basis, not just when we have these council meetings. And I then, you know, every month I do a global update, which is a, a Facebook and LinkedIn live, which lasts for about 20, 25 minutes. We turn that into a podcast and I'm finding increasingly People that were a little bit kind of siloed in their own countries are now taking more and more interest to say, "Well, what's happening in other geographies? What can we learn? What are the trends? Uh, You know, what are some of the things that we can learn as we come back?" So it's it's incredibly, I guess, humbling and 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 satisfying to be in this position where I can be sharing this knowledge on on a global basis.
0: Yeah, and you've been doing some absolutely incredible work, Chris. We followed it as well, so you know, congratulations to you for. Efforts to try and unite some of these universes, which I know are uh, disparate and and tough to uh, a <laughs> to track down together. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about some of the things you mentioned earlier, Chris, because we've talked about this in the past. Mass participation events. Are really some of the most impactful events that communities can host and organize. We have seen that uh, in our coverage of, in Sports Travel Magazine over the years, and we continue to see that. Uh, as you know, when they're done well, they've got the potential for tremendous economic impact. Uh, they provide an outlet for people to get out and feel good about participating, which only adds to the quality of life in the in the cities that host. But let's talk a little bit about what these last few years have been like, Chris, because as you mentioned, these events by their nature were some of the very first ones to get shut down during the pandemic. And I think they were among the slowest to get back just by nature of what they were. Even if they were outdoors, I think there was still a a stigma for a while and maybe still is just about being around too many people at once, which of course is the nature of these events. So give us a a high level, Chris, of what's been happening, what you're seeing in terms of the audience coming back. Where, Where are we at right now?
1: Yeah look it's it, it's you're absolutely right Jason it was incredibly challenging times you know in an industry maybe to kind of set the stage when we had our our 2019 MPW conference in Singapore the, the biggest topic of conversation both on and off the stage was the fundamentally flawed business model uh, you know a, a, an industry that that has really only Two main uh, revenue input drivers. So, uh, you know, entry fees and sponsorship. And in, in some markets, that varies with government grants. And then there's a bucket which I call other, which might be merchandise, it might be licensing if you're a big brand like an Ironman or a, or a Spartan or something like that. But, the, you know, the bulk of these events across the world are, are pulling kind of two levers for, for from a revenue perspective. And then input costs fairly significant in 2019. And so, you know, many, many of the events in the industry work on a break-even, small profit, even small loss. The kind of road to market is generally lose money first year maybe break even a second year and start making profits third year if you're creating a new concept or a new event so so you then take these events that have been sitting for two years in some cases three years major limitations in terms of resources financially so they've they've used a lot of their finances to kind of keep staff employed and keep engaged and so on they now come back to, you know, and, and increasingly, so the, the, the statistics around the world is still pretty tough. And surprisingly, to be honest, I thought participants would come swarming back way faster than they have. And we as an industry are still struggling to really understand why the numbers haven't come back to, to pandemic levels. And there's a lot of assumptions being made. We're about to put out some research to really get some, some concrete evidence around why these participants aren't coming back. But the best you're getting in the world with a few outliers is about 80% broadly of 2019 levels in some markets as well as 50 to 60% some places maybe 70% but but 80% is kind of tops as an average and and you know even some of the the big events like your marquee events so there was a post which went out for Boston saying that they are going to accept all of their qualified runners for next year's event. And, you know, typically the majors are oversubscribed multiple times, run ballots to, yeah. to bring people in. So, you know, that that to me is a slightly worrying trend where the, the bigger events are even being, you know, even though they're filling up, they're not having that kind of luxury of being able to say we're oversubscribed. And, and, and that's kind of happening, you know, and then when you come down to the other ones, it's creating so, somewhat of an issue. And I firmly believe that it will come back. I think it's it's going to be t- take a little bit more time, is that going to be two? years or 3 years but i think the the events that we're involved in as you've alluded to have a massive role to play in societies and i think the the one thing that increasingly People are recognising is the health and well-being benefits that we deliver. So you spoke about economic impact, and you know the, the the economic impact in the traditional sense of inbound tourism, how many room nights, number of people, that kind of thing, but also the economic impact of the ecosystem that gets created around these events, particularly in in emerging markets. An example that I, I quite often cite is in Singapore. So when I first came to Singapore, I I was in Australia. I used to organize the JP Morgan Corporate Challenge there. And many of your American listeners would be aware of JP Morgan Corporate Challenge events across the US. They wanted to bring the event to, to Asia and we ended up settling on Singapore and I helped them deliver that event. It was in the very early stages of running in Singapore. The Singapore Marathon had started the year before. JP Morgan event was, you know, one of the early flagship events. There weren't enough barricades in Singapore to deliver that event, we had to truck them in over the border uh, from Malaysia, from the Tour de Langkawi big pro cycling event. And if you fast forward now, that Singapore marathon, the JP Morgan event are, you know, two of a number of marquee events that happen in the Singapore calendar. And the ecosystem within Singapore, not just the inbound tourism economic impact, there's now a number of, you know, multi-million dollar barricade companies that have spread <laughs> And the marquee companies and all the other suppliers. So the example of if this is embraced as a city, the impact that it can make, and then this health and well-being impact, which I think is is often overlooked and even so much more important now in post-pandemic times.
0: Chris, what's the thinking right now? That's surprising to me as well that things haven't come back as quickly as we thought on the mass participation front what uh, are you hearing is happening there are these participants have they just found other things to do or are they less interested in having an event experience or is the thinking that they're out there and that they will come back at some point maybe when they feel more comfortable depending on where they are in the world with gathering with other people
1: yeah look i think it, it's the million dollar question at the moment and hence the research that we want to put out there, there are a number of assumptions that are being made i think behaviors have changed people have have got on and gone and done other things um i think that you know there are a number of areas where things are really growing and that's that's in the off-road stuff so trail running is exploding all over the world gravel racing as you would be aware in in the u.s you know mountain biking walking those kind of things so people wanting to get back to nature i think i think is an issue i think concerns around what's happening you know economically lots of talk of recession now and people are saying well it's a kind of a discernible spend of a, you know we might spend it in, in another area in a broader recreation space I, I think there's also an element and it's it's kind of being whispered but i i believe it's possibly an issue is that we may have lost the trust of some of the participants in some markets because the way that refunds were handled during the pandemic was not universally managed, but it wasn't so well communicated in many instances. So, you know, you might have entered into a marathon which was postponed and you got a, a credit for the next event and then that event was postponed and you still had your credit and then you were given a year to use that credit. And I think some participants said, well, you know, I would have preferred just to have a refund. And the challenge with, you know, what I alluded to in terms of the business model, there were very few people, you know, and e- even the big brands didn't give give refunds. You know, mm-hmm. Iron Man gave credits for people to, to use that entry, And I think we created as an industry quite a lot of not so goodwill in that in that situation and i think as we still have some degree of uncertainty from you know economic impact and will covid come back people are people are kind of sitting on the fence and saying will i enter the market has shifted massively so we do a lot of work with nuco which is the biggest registration platform in europe they they have three they did three million registrations in 2019 And and their, their data indicates that the registration, the peak of the bell curve has moved a full three weeks closer to event day and so as event planners this is enormously challenging you know so the cash flow that comes with having to pay deposits and and you know as the economic situation gets tougher deposits that are being required are much bigger people are requiring you know suppliers are requiring uh, final payments you know before the event where they would have been paid afterwards so it's putting this commercial pressure on as well with the result that we are starting to lose some events so coming back to your question of why aren't people coming back i think that that nervousness of will there be another COVID? Will I have paid my entry fee? I lost it last time round, or when I was eventually forced to do my final redeem, I couldn't do that. Uh, You know, a lot of people travel to these events as well. So the cost of travel has gone up, as you would be aware, flights and so on. So I think it's a basket of many things. But as an industry, we're kind of grasping at it at the moment. And that's one of the challenges of of our industry. We don't have a lot of data around these things. and, And that's one of the roles that MPW tries to play.
0: Right. So you were just recently in Europe. I saw you were at the European Running Business Conference. What kind of buzz were you hearing there? We just saw the Berlin Marathon, one of the big highlights on the running uh, year while they had a a world record. I know they also had thousands of other people participating who were not necessarily setting world records. But what, uh, what were you hearing there, Chris? What was the buzz at that event?
1: Yeah, so you know, in, in in the fall racing season, as they call it, Berlin last weekend, just uh, this day before yesterday was London, and I think forty two thousand starters there. Uh, an amazing event with people coming back and uh, and, and loving running. Look, the, the mood was mixed in in Stockholm. The you know economic challenges, which I've already alluded to a couple of times, were, were front and center. Uh, you know, there were a couple of really experienced groups that were showing data of revenues 30% down and, and on a business model of, of what I've already alluded to, 30% down in revenues is people making losses. So, you know, the yeah. thing was, was how do we survive? Um, you know, in some cases, that can be fairly significant losses. There was a lot of enthusiasm around, around trail running. There was a particular stream around trail running, and it was very bullish, and enthusiastic. There was some interesting stuff around technology, but there was somewhat of a of a somber mood. Of you know, how do we how do we see our way out of here? There, you know, there's significant challenges. How do we partner with cities who have a huge role to play in terms of helping the, this industry to come back? How do we collaborate more? Um, you know, what what evolution has to be made in our offering? You know, I, I think one of the big problems in the industry is that. We've ended up commoditizing ourselves in some way. And so with a consumer having quite a lot of Options in terms of events to participate, and many consumers pre-pandemic would do multiple events a year, six, seven events a year. But competing on price, the kind of clear articulation of the value proposition, I think, need, needs a, a lot of work. And one of the questions I posed, I delivered the opening keynote there, and one of the questions I posed was, you know, what industry are we in? We talk a lot about racing, and 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 you know, we we kind of in, in the industry, people wear the race director's badge as a kind of a badge of honor. And I I raised in, you know, the race directors perform an incredible role. And and I pose the question, is it time to take the race director blinkers off? Because with this focus on racing, I think we're missing as much of 90, maybe even 95 percent of the field. Many of our participants these days are out there looking for an experience, having fun part of health and well-being, part of being a community. And whilst ever we focus on race with the assumption that people wanted to come and run a, a personal best and break a record and break a course records, that's a tiny percentage of the field. And, and, and so the question that I pose is, are we perhaps more in the health and well-being community? Um, and that was well-received. I had a number of people coming to me and saying, yeah, it, it makes perfect sense. And, and Bob Verbeek, who, who is the founder and CEO of an organization called Galazo out of Belgium, he, he presented in the afternoon, and I've only met Bob over email before and we had a chat afterwards, but he was kind of singing from a similar song sheet. Very successful business, and a core element of what they do is around health and well being. Big focus on corporates, but many events focus on kind of corporate team building. Bring your, bring your organization along and and have some team building he, he he specifically designs a health and well-being journey for corporates which might be a 14 or 16 week journey which culminates in the event but there are webinars there's seminars talking about mental health talking about diet understanding various other elements of of health and well-being and they're getting incredible traction in in a number of countries in europe around that and and, and i think as an as an industry we have this amazing opportunity to create that kind of impact and work with city authorities. We did a piece of research, which I think you're aware of a couple of years ago, called the mass participation ripple effect. And that was very much around, you know, what what impact does one person participating in a mass participation event have on the health and well-being of their community? And we did this research with a company out out of Australia, and their kind of focus is their neuroscience and behavioral economic experts. Peter is, is is the founder of that organization, Neuropower Group. And when I sat down with Peter, he said to me, Chris, I think we'll be able to prove that the health and well-being ripple effect goes 10 people deep. We got some funding and support from Sam Renouf and the the PTO. And we did a three-month desktop study and it would appear with further research to be done which we're looking for funding for that the ripple effect is actually 200 people wide because it's not linear as we were originally thinking but it's compounding so you for example have a, an immediate kind of circle of maybe six people that you're closely connected with your family maybe you know your immediate family your wife and, and son your, your extended family friends work colleagues and they have a, a network and they have a network so so when you start participating in an event and you're posting on social media and you're changing your diet and you're eating more healthy and changing other behavioral elements, you're potentially impacting the health and well-being of, of, a, of a larger community. So you know, from a city perspective, you know, the opportunity to embrace these events, not only to create the traditional tourism impact, to, but, but to impact the health and well-being of the communities. I think there's an enormous potentially missed opportunity that's not being embraced at the moment.
0: Yeah, you raise a number of great points there, Chris, and something that I was going to ask you about as well. I think when we talk about health and wellness, that's a discussion that's taking place at the city level, certainly here in the United States, among sports tourism organizations. Obviously, they want the economic impact, and many of them exist financially solely to generate hotel room nights out of their events. But I think more and more we're seeing this kind of discussion That cities are having about the role they play in bringing these events because of what it does for the general health and wellness of the individuals and of the community. And it was a question I wanted to ask you, Chris, because obviously the the race director, if you will, or or the organization organizing the event clearly plays a role in an event, as do the participants. But I was curious to get your take on the role that some of the host communities can or should be playing, uh, you know, what can they be doing to help out the the cause here to either generate more participation or spread this message in a slightly different way? Because I think they inherently know it. And I think we're starting to see some of that dialogue you know, at a much higher level now about what are we doing here? It's It's more than just being an economic engine. We are benefiting the community by having these events in our towns.
1: Yeah, look, it's a great question, Jason, and something that I'm I'm very, very passionate about. I, I talk about mass participation as a strategy and, and, and what I see happening in, in many cities. I've been in this industry now, as I say, 35 years. And, and more often than not, it kind of happens by accident in cities. It's private sector driven. And in many cities, the, the cities are a, an, an obstacle rather than an enabler. You know, the, the almost adversarial situation of getting permits to be able to close the road or getting access to vendors. Venues or, or getting appropriately purposed venues. And, and, I, and I'm saying that, you know, is there, or well, the question that I'm posing is, is there a missed opportunity here for cities to be able to come together and say, we're open for business for mass participation. And, and not just, you know, we're, we're a city that's got great stadiums and, and abilities and we attract, uh, you know, professional sport or amateur sport in, in, into stadium venues. But, you know, we're a city that embraces and, and is open for business for mass participation. And that means designing cities in in a way or repurposing cities in a way that it's easy to deliver mass participation events, that we make the permitting process easier, that we are collaborative in terms of the resources that are needed to deliver. And, and, you know, recognising that these events can create considerable inconvenience to a city. So how do you come together from a planning perspective collaboratively? And, And, you know, one of the great examples I always cite of that was Sydney. I was fortunate enough to be the road event supervisor on the sydney olympics and one of the legacies of that was a group which has now changed its name but it was the acronym was CSOG central sydney operations group which came together for the olympics and it remained where every month all of the major stakeholders in events would come together and events would be able to go and share their initial ideas and their plans so you'd have the transport folk, whether it be buses and trains and ferries all together, you'd have all the major venues together, you'd have the traffic authorities, the health authorities, and events would be able to share their plans in a collaborative environment where the train guys would say, you know, train lines are closed for track work that particular day but we've got buses running and, and your course is going to create a bit of a problem here let's work together so this really city-wide collaborative approach to say we embrace these mass participation events like the sydney marathon like the city to surf which was one of the big events that would happen there and you would find solutions as a city and the city would fund in a in a way that's different to many cities i'm sure you know you you work across many more cities than i do jason but you see this kind of grand program that happens where you know one event gets a grant whether it be a mass event or whether it be a stadium event and that kind of only works to support the top end of the of I always do the pyramid. You know the top of the pyramid gets supported. So the the, the proposition that I pro- propose in a number of places is to say, well, what if you were to spend that money upgrading the facilities that are typically used for a mass participation event? So there's usually a start and finish, which might be a major city park. There's cycleways and and pathways and things that are used. So rather than giving a grant to a select few, what if you were to take the park where the bulk of events happen and build enough toilet blocks and put in three-phase power and, and bring in a supply of barricades and marquees so that that event is event that that venue is event ready for mass participation events. Don't then go and double and triple the hire rates for those. But say this is our contribution as a city to that to part of the health and well being to make it av- available for. You know you're not going to be able to deliver your or necessarily support your twenty and thirty thousand people events, your major marquee events, but you can support the ecosystem that supports them. So again, at the top of the pyramid, you have all these big events that are being fed by the smaller events. How do you create that ecosystem and support those as a city or even a town to say we're open for business? We support these. We build, we, we build the facilities. And then from a sustainability perspective, you're creating an impact as well. So you're not. Trucking in, you know, generators and port porta loos or porta potties, as they may be called in the U.S. In, in, into those locations. There's a supply that's there. You're reducing the cost for the participant, uh, for the for the organizer, and, and you're creating this ecosystem that supports itself.
0: Yeah, it's also interesting, Chris, and of the many things that you touched on there, one of the things that strikes me, too, in your example of Sydney, when we talk about a legacy of some of these big events like an Olympic Games, that's one that's a little bit lost, you know, where a city like that can have a true legacy in the event space by just maintaining all of that momentum they have for a large event and using it for the benefit of other events that happen down the road. There's a lot of great stuff in there, I think. To, to think about. One question I have for you, Chris, in the, in the time we have left here, we, I think when most people think about mass participation, they might immediately go to running. Uh, we've touched on a number of other things. Of course, it's, it's more than that. It could be cycling or triathlons or what have you. Uh, curious what trends you're seeing right now or or kind of watching out for here in the next year or two. You touched on trail running as, as one possible example of that, but I was curious what you're seeing out in, in your world just beyond the traditional events that people are used to.
1: Yeah, I I think, you know, that there's no real major trend I'm identifying beyond what I've shared with with trail running and then gravel racing or gravel riding uh, that's happening in, 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 in many parts of the world. What is interesting, though, is that we're finding that almost counterintuitively we saw this data and, and and anecdotally and measured of masses of people early in the pandemic taking up running and taking up cycling i mean you know the business that you probably wanted to be in was the bike industry where they just you know people people couldn't buy a bike for love nor money and it was taking three weeks to get a bike a bike service those we expected at one stage would translate into participants. And and, and that's actually not happening. And and what we're seeing, which I expected may happen, which isn't happening, is that those people that had taken up running and cycling would come into entry-level events. So you'd have oversubscribed or a lot of 5K and 10K events. The reverse seems to be happening. It seems to be that the more serious, committed participants are coming back and doing half marathons and marathons and endurance events, and the 5 and 10K events in many markets are struggling. As a generalization, we're now having some... One of the markets which is really bouncing back well is is Brazil, and, and many of the Latin American countries are, are, are bouncing back. And what's happening there in, uh, is that there's a lot of short-themed events that are happening, 2Ks and 3Ks and 5Ks with themes around them, dress ups and and, and that kind of thing are, are, are really coming along. A little bit maybe like, you know, your color runs and your neon runs which which you know made a massive impact in the US maybe what am I going back over a decade ago no, maybe even 15 years ago. Yeah. So that's that's kind of happening in some markets. I think the other trends is is more of an embracing of technology. So, you know, how, how do you create that experience for the participant that brings together all of the technology that people are plugged into now? Um, is one opportunity. Am I seeing a massive trend in it? You know, some events are embracing it, but those are kind of the main things I'm seeing at the moment. There's no kind of new genres that have suddenly popped out, up apart from that example that I, I shared in Brazil and, and, and trail running. I think that there's maybe some opportunities in the shorter versions of trail running. So trail running has kind of, you know, spawned these real ultra events. And I think there, you know, I'm hearing examples in Canada of people setting up, you know, trail runs for kids, educating them on trail etiquette and safety and so on with shorter distances. I think those, those may be, be the opportunities in trail, which is again, kind of contradicting what what I just said about the road running events, where the the shorter events are struggling. So, you know, I think one of the answers is that whilst there is some commonality... One of the things that we saw during COVID and continues is it's very much localized market by market so you know you might have one city which is struggling at 80 percent and then another one next door is is only at 50 percent and another one has sold out events so you know we're hearing Spain for example there are a number of really successful events there the Seville Marathon oversubscribed and massive return in Spain but it is, is kind of not completely explained at this stage why Spain is, is, is returning and why so many of those events are, are oversubscribed. There's a group in Czechoslovakia in the Czech Republic that, that have an amazing, called Run Czech that have an amazing portfolio of events that are really well received. They've built an incredible running running culture. There, a guy called Carlo Capalbo, and they're struggling to get the runners back. You know, they're only at eighty percent, and, and, and they're struggling even though they've built this amazing community.
0: Yeah, it's regional. It's by country. It is so interesting. We certainly still see that to an extent here in the U.S. uh, as different markets are coming back. Well, let's plug a couple things here before we leave here, Chris. Uh, Tell me about the Together We Move initiative. I know that's something you're doing with the Abbott World Marathon majors. Uh, That seems like another advocacy effort here to try and spread the word of (laughs) what your industry can do.
1: Yeah, thanks, Jason. So one of the the ideas that I came up with during the pandemic was uh, how could we create a a digital media kit to help the industry around the world with, you know, they could kind of pick and choose some different elements to support them. And and that ended up being a partnership with the Abbott World Marathon Majors, where we created a a, a really exciting high impact one minute video, um, reminding people of the joy of participating together. That's kind of one of the other thoughts is that maybe people have forgotten this. They learned, to run on their own during the pandemic and they 've forgotten this joy of being on a start line and crossing a finish line in a group so we 've created this digital media kit which is is this video which I, I think we now have with subtitles in eight or nine languages. We have Chinese, Japanese, and many other languages, uh, you know, French and Spanish and, and and so on. And people can download that from the MPW website. They can repurpose the video. So there's a number of different versions and we're seeing people using it as their own kind of marketing tool, call to action. So they play the, the it, it's narrated by Steve Cram, who, who is, um, you know, the voice of, of cycling for the BBC, a really well-known um, voice in in the industry and um, this opportunity to take that video and then put a call call to action at the back of it to market your own event and people are people are starting to do that there's a number of static images that they can pull down and and use in their marketing campaigns there's media releases and so on on there so that you know and that's that's received incredible traction we had two thousand people watch the video in the first 48 hours
0: yeah, it's a great uh, it's a great piece Chris. I've seen it myself so congratulations on Thank that. You. And then let's just talk about Mass Participation World. You mentioned it's in Bangkok. What are the dates of the event and how can people find out more about that?
1: Thank you. Yes, yeah, so that that's on uh, the thirtieth and the first of December, uh, the Mass Participation World uh, Twenty Two Conference, and then it'll be followed in the afternoon of the first until the third with the uh, World Athletics Global Running Conference. Uh, we will be launching entries from our website massparticipationworld.com. and then otherwise follow me on on social media on LinkedIn and so on, where I, I often um, you know place information on that, uh, or you know people welcome to email me directly Chris at MassParticipationWorld.com. Be delighted whether it's around Mass Participation World Conference or just helping people. I love to, you know, I love to connect people in the industry from from all over and, uh, you know, very welcome to, to email me directly.
0: Yeah, that's terrific, Chris. It's great to see your event back. It's great to see uh, the World Athletics event back after the inaugural one that we both attended. As as we both know, sometimes you go to these conferences and you make connections that, that can last a lifetime. And and Chris, you are a terrific connector. So thank you for all the help that you've given us at Sports Travel over the years since we first met. And I wish you certainly continued success with all of your efforts. I've uh, been a longtime admirer just of the work you're doing and the effort that you're putting into unite. Uh, an industry that uh, has so many different moving parts. So I think we're all looking forward to seeing all those numbers uh, get back up and seeing what the industry does. They always find creative ways to come up with new products and get people outdoors and participating. So looking forward to staying in touch with you, Chris, and we'll need to have you back on uh, in a while to see what other trends you're seeing in the space. So thanks so much for taking some time out with us.
1: No, wonderful, Jason. Great to see you again, and and hopefully we'll uh, we'll be together in Bangkok. It'd be wonderful to see you there to catch up in person again. Uh, yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Really appreciate it, and and all the best. Obviously, uh, you know you've got a big event coming up, so all the best for for your team's event. Uh, I'm sure it'll be another huge success, and hopefully I'll be be at your one next year. Lo- love to be able to get there.
0: Absolutely, but it would be great to see each other in in person. Uh, although it's terrific to see you in this format as well. So thanks so much, Chris, and we'll be in touch
1: thanks jason
0: this has been another edition of the sports travel podcast thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe to our podcast on all your favorite platforms including itunes google play and spotify past episodes are also available at sportstravelmagazine.com which features regularly updated breaking news and in-depth features on stories related to the sports event industry be sure to visit us daily at sportstravelmagazine.com at Sports Travel on Twitter and Instagram and at Sports Travel Magazine on Facebook and LinkedIn. Until then, this is Jason Gowords for Sports Travel and thanks for listening.